Welcome back to the show. I'm your host of Shreds Takes Podcast, Mike Shredder. Glad to be back here on this Tuesday talk about some NBA. I'm going to get into a few stuff that happened, not just in the games last night, but also talk about if the Bucks are a better team without Giannis. I'm going to give you a disclaimer. I do not believe that, but I, some guys in ESPN were talking about how they thought that was better, and I'm going to go into why I think they're wrong on that. And I'm also going to talk about what the keys for the Lakers and the Rockets also are for tonight's game three, which is pivotal in terms of who's going to really take control of that series. But let's go ahead and jump into right now what I thought was the biggest game of last night, a thriller, 113 to 107. The Clippers beat the Nuggets to go up two games to one in the best of seven series in this Western Conference semifinals. And it wasn't Kawhi Leonard necessarily that dominated for the Clippers today. Now he did have 23 points, including that big block on Jamal Murray's dunk attempt late in the game when they were up 109 to 103. But it wasn't him that actually made the big shots and made the, you know, the best plays and scored the most points yesterday. That was Paul George. Paul George has been struggling during the playoffs. And even this series hasn't really shot a great percentage. He only had 19 points in game one. They shot seven of 19 in game two and only had 22 points. But tonight he, he gave people an opportunity to see who he really could be 32 points yesterday. So that was crucial for the Clippers because the Clippers, what they did well last night is they withstood the Nuggets runs. And what they also did is got out in transition, which got him a lot of open threes, a lot of easy plays going to the rim. And that was really especially important in the second half too, because the second half they outscored the Nuggets in that department big time. And they had 19 transition points. They outscored them 30 to 12 in terms of transition points. That was a big key. But here are some takeaways I want to take from the game, too, just overall. I'm going to give you at least just two big takeaways, just two. The first one is Nikola Jokic has to play like that consistently for the Nuggets have a chance. Now, why do I say that is? Because he has a mismatch at that center position. Zubats is a very physical, good, big guy. He does a really good job of not letting Jokic necessarily back him down. But what Jokic can do well is Jokic can shoot. And also, Jokic can get to the basket a little bit because he's very sneaky and skilled enough where he can, you know, figure out where he needs to get angles in order to get himself to his right or left hand. But again, the problem is he can shoot threes. And against a guy like Zubats, who's not as quick, quick-footed as a lot of other big guys in the league, having Jokic do these pick-and-pops or the pick into the mid-pose where he shoots his little floater, that works to his advantage. But also the fact that when you put Harold Jermichael Green on him, he can just take them in the post and get them in foul trouble. He got Zubats in foul trouble. He got Harold in foul trouble. He got Jermichael Green in foul trouble. And it's because he was being aggressive. And when he's aggressive, he also gets better passing angles for his guys. Kenny Smith made a great point about that inside the NBA yesterday, talking about how Jokic really did a good job by getting his teammates open. Also, I mean, he needs to be aggressive too because you don't know what necessarily you're going to get for Jamal Murray. And Jamal Murray's a star. The Clippers' defense is more designed to stop a guy like him than it is to stop a guy like Jokic. Now, number two is the Denver has to fix their problems in terms of their lineups at the end of games. They got to go with the hot hands. They can't just go with their traditional lineup every game. 
I was talking about the end of the game. Michael Porter had it going last night. He had 18 points, but he only played 23 minutes, while Jeremy Grant played 42 minutes last night. Now, the problem with that is Jeremy Grant was 5 of 14 last night. So from those perspectives, I would have put Porter in the game. Even though Jeremy Grant's a better defender, you want some punch offensively, and they missed three after three late in the game, and that was all Jeremy Grant. If Michael Porter was in the game, he could have made those threes, giving you an opportunity to win that game. And the thing with Denver, too, is just that's really where I was disappointed. And I think Mike Malone is starting to make better adjustments. But I think when you have a hot hand going, you got to keep that in the game. Now, I also wanted to take some takeaways just generally on where I see the series going. So the first thing is I said, like, Murray just has to be consistent in the next couple of games because – if Jokic continues to play the way he's been playing this series, he's getting better every game. Then Murray, if Murray just shoots 7 of 17, big difference, right? And it's going to be hard for him to shoot 50% against the Clippers. Now, Luka Doncic has done it, and I think he needs to go to the rim a little bit more instead of settling because I don't necessarily think the Clippers are as good in terms of perimeter defense as people make them out to be. I think it's an on and off switch with them. So I think that needs to also be a level of consistency that he needs to play at. Now, also, also yesterday, everyone expected, based on the momentum, that the Raptors would make it really tough on the Celtics in Game 5. That was certainly not the case at all. Boston won 111-89, to and it was led by Jalen Brown, who had 28 points yesterday, 10 of 18 from the floor. Did an incredible job yesterday. But the thing with the Raptors, the Raptors had 11 points in the first quarter, they couldn't really get a bucket the entire game. They got open looks, but also they just took bad shots. And that really, at the end of the day, was what really came down to Boston's talents, speeding the game up, using their ability to play off their three guards, really played to their advantage. Because Toronto can win in a slow pace, move the ball, work at worth the clock possession-wise. But if it's faster paced, that works to the more talented Boston Celtics' favor. So if I'm going to say who's going to win the series, I think Boston will still win the series. Whether or not they win game six, I don't know. But I think they're going to still win the series because I think their talent is just too good. Now, I thought Toronto would win the series originally, like I said before, because I thought their depth and their teamwork worked well together. But watching that yesterday, I also think they just don't have the star talent yet. Pascal Siakam is a star. He's not a superstar yet. And he'll get there. I have, I have faith in him, but he's not there yet. I believe in a guy like Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, more than I believe in Van Fleet and Lowry and Siakam. That's just – and, you know, Serge Ibaka. Like, those, I just – yeah, I trust that more. Now, I also want to talk a little bit about what I thought about what the ESPN guys said about Giannis making the Bucks worse. Now, in this series – his plus minus when he's on the court versus off the court is a lot different. He's minus 32 on the court and plus seven off in this series. And yes, Matt Barnes made a great point yesterday. And I, and I do agree with this point in the sense that his offensive flaws get really exposed in the postseason. That's true because he can't shoot and he just tries to drive to the rim. But the Bucs are not a better team without him there. And that's pretty simple. Because if you think about it, Giannis attracts so much attention. So that gets guys open shots. That gets guys the ability to play off 
single coverage defensively because he has four guys guarding him. I, I hate to say it, you know, if James Harden had four guys guarding him or LeBron had four guys guarding him, it'd be, I mean, look, those guys can shoot, but, like, that's tough. That's tough to go against. They're not a better team without Giannis. Now, they play differently without Giannis. There's more spacing without Giannis, but they're not a better team. Now, Chris Middleton's the best version of himself in game four, which if that can translate over to game five, that'd be great for the Bucs. But I don't personally see them as a, as a worse team with Giannis on the court. I think Giannis still has room to grow, but Giannis does drive that team. He, he does orchestrate rebounding, passing, defense, the ability to dominate in the paints, the ability for those guys to get open threes. Now, the reason why they got more spacing in game four was pretty simple because they just had shooters on the court. And the fact that Miami kind of took their foot off the gas. So I think people are getting – this is what happens to the media. They get a little too much into just one-game wonders and then thinking that these things are going to translate to an actual trend going forward, which is just not going to be the case. The Bucs are not better without Giannis. Giannis actually, people forget, had 19 points in those 11 minutes that he did play and was carrying them in that portion of the game. The reason why the Bucs were in that position was because Miami put their foot off the gas and Giannis put them in position. So – I don't see that statement making much credible sense. I think it's just a way to just get some headline out there to just have some fun debate, which is okay. It's fine. That's what sports media kind of is at this point. And I kind of want to also talk about what I thought of the Lakers Rockets game too, how I think that's going to translate to game three tonight. So I think it's pretty simple. What I saw last night was that if you look at game two, sorry, two nights ago, game two, what the Lakers did is they dominated the paints. LeBron James had 28 points. Anthony Davis had 34. Marquise Morris had 16. And I think that's also just the fact that LeBron was in the paint dominating. You look at the fourth quarter. He really put a stamp in the fourth quarter and really put an imprint in that game. When they were down 92 to 90, drove by Russell Westbrook, dunked on Jeff Green. Then he gets an alley-oop dunk. Then he gets a layup in the paints. Then he gets a fadeaway in the paints. All his points in the paints. Now, he did it a three. But the thing with him, right, is you, you want to keep him aggressive. You want to keep him engaged inside the game, whatever he kind of needs to do to win. He also shot a really good percentage, too. He shot 10 of 17. So that's also going to help. You also saw Anthony Davis. Now, Anthony Davis, I think, needs to use – I agree with Chris Prusard at this point. I do agree with him on this one. Anthony Davis definitely needs to use his size a little bit more instead of just trying to shoot jumpers. Now, it does work for Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis inside the mid-range is a very good shooter. But also, I mean, when you're P.J. Tucker, I mean, you, 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 want to, you want to make a little bit of stronger moves. Now, if you're going to shoot that fadeaway, shoot a little closer to the basket, right? Make it a little bit more higher percentage for yourself. I think the big thing, though, the things I'm going to take away from the Rockets' side is that the Rockets came back and, you know, took the lead, being down 21 points. So that also shows the level of resiliency. That shows that small ball does work. It shows that they, they have, you know, a level of kind of tenacity that they want to come back and they can play hard. Now, the takeaways I'm going to take from those games to go into game three are pretty simple. From the Lakers' side, it's to play good defense the entire game, not just for three quarters, and also dominate in the paint. LeBron and AD have to continually get around 30 points each, and then they can totally do that. And then they need a supporting cast guy, one or two guys to give you 10 to 15 points. But that's really that. And then the last thing I would say is, too, is that you know, they got to continue that double team in Harden, but make Westbrook shoot threes. Now, if Westbrook hits four threes, God bless him. But 
right now that's why he struggled because they made him a jump shooter. And, you know, even though he can hit a 15 foot jump shoot shot pretty well, it's because the fact that he can get momentum when he gets momentum into his shot, he's actually a pretty decent shooter, but catch and shoot. He's not very good at all. So getting that ability to do that. And also I think they just need to be swarming around a little more. They just got to put their imprint on the game. If they're up by 20, that game should be 20 points. That game should be over. Houston shouldn't have the chance to get back in that game. And that's why making Russell Westbrook a shooter is going to help that portion of their team. Now, the last thing for Houston is simple. Houston's just got to continue getting that contributions from Eric Gordon and Harden. And also having the other guys come up big too. P.J. Tucker had a very big game. I think he had 18 points in game two. So, and he also had, you know, a good job on the boards. He played with tenacious defense in the way that he was given 34. He did play pretty good defense on I me, mean, forcing the tough shots that Anthony Davis just made, right? So from Houston's side, it's it's simple, really. It's Eric Gordon and P.J. Tucker and the supporting cast playing like they're playing. It's James Harden stepping up bigger in the fourth quarter and finding out ways to negate that double team. If he's getting double teamed, he's got to find maybe ways to make shots easier for him. Maybe, you know, get, you know try to – not have a ball screen come. Also, maybe try to get points in transition and that kind of stuff. Now, if you're getting double teamed, I understand that. It's not easy to actually just go score in that situation, too. But that's where I think he needs to – like, what I'm saying, like, he needs to play well. He needs to just be smart and figure out where he can go with his options, where he can score, that kind of stuff. I mean, he has played well in the first two games, but that's where I think the key for them, too. And then, obviously, the big key, and the elephant in the room, is Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is very inconsistent so far in these first two games, 24 in game one, then 10 points in game two and four, 15 shooting. And he has been turning the ball over a lot in, in this series. And I think for them to have a chance to win, he has to play consistent because Eric Gordon, while being a very good player, isn't always consistent. He's very up and down based on how his three-point shooting is. So if they're going to have a chance to win this series, I still think they're going to push it six or seven games. But if they have a chance to win this series, Westbrook's got to be 25 points. It can't be 24, 16, 10, 12 on poor shooting. Like, if he scores 25 points, but shoots like 8 of 25 from the floor, they're not going to win. That's a lot of empty possessions, especially because Houston's all about being efficient, right? So that's where I go with that at the end of the day. And when you look at that, that's really going to break down everything. Now, also, I wanted to get into what I thought about the fact of how college football is starting. I think it's cool that they, they've been able to try and keep it safe so far and be able to at least have some games between BYU, BYU and Navy, which was a blowout by, for BYU last night. It's going to be an interesting di- dilemma now because you have to keep the players safe. I understand that they're not at risk, but, you know, it, it's just, you know, I think it's good they have football back. I think it's great that the NFL is going to be coming back this weekend. I think it's just going to be the case that you have to be very cognizant and very – careful about what's going on while also just making sure the players can play but keeping the strict measures in place that's really where it comes in with COVID you just got to be strict you just got to be safe make sure the players are getting regularly tested like the NBA bubble but I understand they're doing a little bit of a market bubble now but just like keep everybody safe that's really I think at the end of the day what's important and where I think the best thing can go with the stuff moving forward and at the end of the day I think that's what's crucial for that now, I talked a little bit about – this is something from last week that I wanted to kind of get into that I never got really a chance to touch upon. And I talked with Manhattanville and former New York Rens head coach Chris Alisi about the Steve Nash hire. I wanted to speak a little bit about what I thought about it from a basketball hire 
because I think he made good points, but I want to talk a little bit why I thought about it too. Now, again, I'm not looking to get in the optics piece. I'm saying strictly from a basket perspective, what does this guy do that can help the Brooklyn Nets achieve their championship aspirations when they get Katie and Kyrie back? And I think that's a pretty simple answer. It's the fact that he has one of the greatest basketball minds of all time. And if you've seen the point guards who kind of jumped to the NBA without coaching experience, they've had some pretty good success. And I think it's because he understands the point guard position. He understands how to be accountable. He understands how to relate to players. He was a great mentor to Kevin Durant. So Kevin Durant's already won, and Kyrie already wanted him as a coach because he knows how to play fast. He knows how to play smart. He understands different angles. He understands how defenses are going to adjust. I think he also understands, too, from being a point guard, where KD can be successful coming up an injury, where Kyrie can really attack and be effective as well. And also, don't forget, they have Spencer Dinwiddie, who didn't play in the bubble. They have Karis LeVert, who played great in the bubble. They have so much talent coming back, but I think Steve Nash from a basketball hire, based on his basketball knowledge and also working with the Golden State Warriors, can embody a system that actually can pay dividends for this team going forward. Because if you think about it, there are a team that has a lot of star talent. They have guys who can shoot. They have guys at the rim. But getting KD into good spots where you can be successful, I think Steve Nash can do that because Steve Nash understands the offensive side of the ball really, really well. He understands different angles. Like I said, he understands how to get guys to certain positions because he's a point guard. He's one of the greatest point guards of all time. And I think he's going to help Kyrie also, Kyrie to be a better playmaker as well as being a great scorer. And that's going to help their team too. And also allowing Spencer Dinwiddie to be that playmaker that makes him so effective, right? That's going to – I think Brooklyn will be very dangerous. I think this actually is a sneaky, very good hire in the NBA. And I think that whatever people want to say about it in terms of the optics, that's their opinion. They have the right to do that. But from a basketball standpoint, I think it's a pretty good hire because he, he does bring stuff to the table that a point guard of his caliber needs to bring. But also, he, just the fact that he's a great point guard, he's, like, I, like I said before, he's going to allow defenses to always be off balance because you don't know what you're going to get from him because he's going to put the guys in an offensive scheme that will make that defense in balance. Now, this is a shorter podcast episode today. I will be back on probably later this week to discuss some more stuff going on. And I want you guys to obviously check this out, look into some more stuff that you guys are interested in. And if you are interested in checking out my blog, it's always in these descriptions of the episodes. So definitely give that a look. I read a lot of articles on there about the NBA. So definitely give it a look. And Look forward to writing and discussing about the Lakers-Rockets game from tonight and as well as the Bucks heat. So thank you guys, and I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your Tuesday morning and day and stay safe and enjoy your transition back to school. So have a good one, everyone.